Well, today, today on the, you know, today is the Shabbat before uh, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and, uh, and so it's an important Shabbat for us as we prepare our hearts for uh, the uh, holidays. And so we're going to, we're at a very appropriate place in uh, the book of Acts in chapter 10, where uh, we um, have been talking about Cornelius and bringing the good news of Messiah to Cornelius and the introduction of the good news to the, uh, uh, to the uh, Gentile world. And uh, it, it, in the passage is the message that Peter gives him. And we looked at it last week. And uh, we want to uh, look at it again today uh, and basically finish up this whole uh, chapter. And of course, it's so appropriate what Peter says to Cornelius as it relates, uh, as it relates to, the, uh, to the holidays. Okay? Okay, so we're in uh, chapter uh, 10 of, um, of the book of Acts. And uh, we have been um, looking at this prayer, or, or the message that Peter gives. Uh, the message that he gives begins in verse 34, and it ends in verse 43. And we already looked at the beginning of it. Okay, last week we talked about the beginning of the message. We talked about how Peter says uh, here in verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Messiah Yeshua, he is Lord of all. So last week we spent a lot of time talking about the fact that Peter calls it preaching peace, preaching shalom, uh, and what that means. Uh, and uh, we talked all about that, all about what, what that means. And then we also looked at verse uh, 37 when it says, You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the immersion, which John proclaimed. He says, you yourselves know. And so uh, evidently, there's a number of ways that uh, Cornelius and his family would know that this happened. One is Cornelius was a military man. Uh, and uh, uh, there, there was a real possibility that uh, you know, in the communications of the military, uh, that uh, this would be made known. After all, Pontius Pilate was very involved in, you know, in the crucifixion of Yeshua. And also, uh, Pontius Pilate uh, had a, a, a resided in uh, Caesarea, uh, which is where Cornelius was. So you have that. Uh, and also that, that uh, this, the event of Yeshua was uh, something uh, that became known and word traveled uh, very, uh, very quickly and, and very much about uh, Yeshua. So he says, you yourselves know, which took place uh, starting uh, from Galilee after the immersion uh, of which John proclaimed. And then in verse 38, uh, he basically uh, uh, reminds them of uh, the things that Yeshua did in his life. You know of Yeshua of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good 
uh, and healing all who were oppressed uh, by the devil, for uh, God was with him. Uh, and so uh, the first thing that he talks about is what Yeshua did in his life, what he did in his life. And it's significant that he says here, he went about doing good. That's a little phrase that would have resonated very much with the Roman community, uh, that he did good, he did good. And that was, um, that was something that was very appealing to Roman ears, that someone did good, did good for people, that someone perhaps to pay attention, to pay attention to. And then he says uh, uh, specifically, what Yeshua, uh, what Yeshua did, uh, and uh, and it's a little bit of a reminder of uh, what Yeshua said that his agenda was. When you go back uh, to the Gospel of Luke, and remember that Luke is the one who's writing this, and so Luke accentuates uh, what he wants from uh, these different speeches and acts. Of course. Peter said more than what's in these verses, because if you read these verses, it won't take you more than half a minute to read those verses. So Peter didn't travel to see Cornelius to speak for 30 seconds, uh, you know, uh, uh, to him. But Luke gives us a summary, uh, basically a, a very brief summary of uh, what Peter says. Uh, and so back in Luke chapter 4, Remember when uh, Yeshua goes to Nazareth uh, and um, uh, he opens up uh, the, uh, uh, he goes to the synagogue and uh, he opens up to the prophet Isaiah and uh, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. See, this is just what Peter says, right? He anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are downtrodden free, and to proclaim uh, the favorable uh, year of the Lord. And I think what's significant about that is that right after it says that in Luke chapter 4, uh, that Yeshua describes uh, uh, himself in a sense, like following in the footsteps of Elijah and Elisha. And he makes a point of how uh, he heals people who were uh, not Jewish. It's very interesting when you look uh, farther down in that passage. In uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, it says here in verse 25, There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. See? Uh, and then it's, and that, that's actually in Lebanon today, Lebanon. Okay? Uh, and then in verse 27 it says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were, were cleansed, but only uh, Naaman the Syrian. Isn't <laughs> that interesting? Uh, and so Yeshua says that he came, he's basically saying, I came not only to Israel, but to the nations as well. Uh, and, um, and perhaps in Luke uh, stressing uh, Yeshua doing good, uh, it uh, somehow uh, reflected not only that uh, he did good for the Jews, but for 
Gentiles as well, like some this Samaritan uh, woman and, and others, you know, uh, as, uh, as well. Okay. But then in verse uh, 39, he says, And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a, on a stake, hanging him uh, on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become uh, visible. Not only, uh, or not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So what, what Peter does here and what Luke stresses is Yeshua did good in his life and you need to pay attention to him because of the kind of person that he was, because of the integrity that he had, because of the heart that he had and the, and the wonderful things uh, that he did. However, it's not only about what he did and the, and the message was not just what he said, but he himself is the message. Yeshua himself is the message in his death and his resurrection. In his death and resurrection, he continues to do good. Uh, and in his death and resurrection, uh, he gives us life. And what he says here is, is basically the historical truth that uh, he, he died but he says that he was made visible again. He rose from the dead. And Luke stresses the bodily resurrection of Yeshua, that he wasn't a spirit, uh, that he wasn't like a phantom, you, you know, but that he was a real person. And you know what's kind of neat when you look at the text? That you notice he says here, he, he quotes what Peter says here, that we were witnesses, right? Uh, who ate and drank with him, ate and drank with him. Do you know who is the only apostle, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the only uh, writer of uh, the Gospels who describes Yeshua eating and drinking with the apostles? It describes Yeshua eating and drinking with the apostles. It is Luke. Luke is the one uh, who uh, describes that. And here Luke is the one who writes the book of Acts and accentuates what Peter said about eating and drinking with Yeshua, that this was a bodily resurrection. It, uh, it was not uh, just a, it wasn't a vision. It was the real thing. Uh, and then he says uh, that, uh, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living uh, and the dead. He is the judge of the living and the dead. So here it says, and he ordered us to preach and solemnly testify. So really what it is to tell the good news and to warn. Uh, and, uh, and here, so Peter is saying that we have this commission. We've been given this commission to preach, to, to tell people about what we have seen and what we have heard uh, and uh, how important, uh, you know, that is. 
uh, to understand that, um, and it's interesting the way that he says it. We have been commissioned to preach what and to testify what we have witnessed, what we've seen and what we've heard. And you know, that is what is true for all of us. That everybody has a testimony. Everybody can uh, share about Yeshua, not because we have a degree or because we've uh, memorized all the appropriate verses uh, or, or any of that, but because we can testify of our uh, relationship with the Lord. This is what he did for me. And isn't that what we, what we say uh, at the Passover Seder, for example, when we talk about uh, you know, our, our testimony of being redeemed uh, out of Egypt? This is what he did for me. This is what he did for us when he redeemed us out of Egypt. And we basically tell the story of the account of Israel being redeemed out of Egypt. And so we all have a story. We should never feel inadequate, you know, that, uh, I, oh, I have nothing to say, or, uh, oh, Howard, would you uh, uh, call my friend and tell him about the Lord? No, the most powerful testimony is the one that you have. Let me tell you what the Lord did for me in my life. And that is the most powerful thing that people can hear. You know, whether they, uh, whether they uh, are interested or not, you can share what God has done in your life and how you know that Yeshua is the Messiah. And that's basically what Peter is doing. You know, Peter and the rest of the apostles, uh, they, uh, they did not have graduate degrees from any university uh, or from any seminary. Not that there's anything wrong with that as another famous Jewish prophet once said, okay? Uh, it's all good, you know, uh, getting an education is very powerful and very good and, and so on. But, the, but we should always be encouraged that we should never feel inadequate because Peter spent time with Yeshua and the Lord sent him out and this is what he's saying, what he knows, right? And that's what we can say is what we can say what we know. Now, if we uh, said a prayer, but we, uh, you know, but we really have really not had much of a relationship with the Lord, then maybe we don't have much to say. And maybe we need to, uh, especially as we approach Rosh Hashanah, really take stock of our lives and our spiritual lives and ask ourselves, boy, do I have anything to say about what God has done in my life? And if I really am having a hard time with that, then it's time to really pray, Lord, you know, uh, I need to understand what it really means to know you, right? Very, very important. But Peter was able to say, was able to say this, and he ordered us to preach, to proclaim to people, and to solemnly testify, right? That this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. Now, I won't take the time, but there are several other places in the Brit Hadashah where Yeshua is called the judge of the living and the dead, right? Or the one who uh, is the Lord of the, living of, the, of the living and the dead. So may I suggest that that phrase, living and the dead, basically means of everything and everyone, you know? Uh, and, and so probably it would not be wise to, to say, well, 
how do, well, how does he judge the living as opposed to the dead or so? No, he is the judge of everyone. Uh, and that is indeed uh, who Yeshua is. And certainly we read about it in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John that he is, um, you know, indeed uh, the, uh, the judge, uh, the judge of all. Uh, and so whether uh, we uh, believe uh, that Yeshua is the Messiah or not, he is the judge of the living and the dead. Uh, and uh, so all the more reason for us to proclaim and to warn, to proclaim that the uh, kingdom of, of God is come, and that, you know, in the person of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Messiah of Israel has come. But boy, we need to make sure that we embrace him because in him is the forgiveness of sins. In him is acceptance uh, before a God. Uh, and, and so that should drive us and motivate us like it motivated Peter, uh, you know, to bring this message. And, and later on, as we read about Paul, how this uh, motivated, uh, motivated him. We have to always remember that Yeshua is the Messiah of God, the Messiah of Israel. Uh, and Yeshua said so rightly that if you would have believed Moses, you would believe me. That Yeshua is not some other, like an alternative to the God of Israel. Uh, or or, or an, an, an alternative uh, to Moses. No. Uh, Yeshua is, if, if we say we embrace the God of Israel, I embrace the God of Israel, then how can you say, but I don't embrace his Messiah? You see? It, uh, if you, you can't have one without the other. It's, it's not an alternative. It's not like, well, that's nice to believe in Yeshua, like an extra thing or something. No, it, it is absolutely essential. For example, what Janice read uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 30, if we're going to choose life, we have to choose Yeshua. Life equals Yeshua. Okay. And remember that faith and faithfulness are two sides of the same coin. And so uh, uh, Yeshua is the promised Messiah who assures us the forgiveness of sins. Where we don't have to beg God, maybe you'll forgive us, maybe you won't forgive us. I hope that the, the two weights, are that, that I have more weight on the good side and on the bad side. No, you, you see, because God loves us so much that he sent the Messiah uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you know, in, in the um, beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 29, which is really the beginning of this end time section of Deuteronomy, I, uh, it's very interesting what Moses says here, when we look at the words very carefully. All right, uh, so it says in uh, chapter 29 in verse 1 of Deuteronomy, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb. It's another, Horeb is like, means Sinai. Uh, it's another name for Sinai. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt uh, to Pharaoh and to all his serv and all his servants in the land of Egypt. 
the great trials which your eyes have seen, these great signs and wonders. But look at verse 4. Verse 4 is absolutely essential and very important uh, to us. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. Moses says that something else that you need, God has to do another great work besides giving Moses the Torah that you have seen and heard. Right? And so the rest of chapter 29 is basically, you're going to go into the land, you know, and you're going to forget uh, and there's going to be a judgment. But God has not forgotten you. And then in chapter 30, we read what God will do after those days of uh, great uh, judgment. It says in verse 5, or I'll just cut to the chase, in verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. Okay? So that's like the Shema, right? You know, love the Lord your God with every ounce of your very being. But he says, I will circumcise your heart. I will cause it to happen. This is the beginning of a description of the new covenant that Jeremiah talks about and that Yeshua came to inaugurate. It's first talked about here in chapter 29 and 30, of Deuteronomy. And that's why it's so significant to the New Covenant Scriptures, because Paul uses what's in chapter 30 in a number of different ways, okay, to say that is what's happening now, Paul would be saying. You see, and, uh, and so uh, when, we, uh, when we remember this, God has, uh, you know, not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear, but he's going to circumcise our hearts. And that is what he has done in Messiah Yeshua. Now, when we go back now to uh, Acts uh, chapter uh, 10, and uh, Peter uh, says, you know, that God has appointed him to judge uh, uh, the living of the dead, uh, living and the dead, of whom all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. So this is great. The way Peter says this is wonderful. That Yeshua is the judge. That we will all stand, that humanity will stand before him. And the question is, will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? And the, the reason he will do that is because we have embraced Yeshua. Because in him is the forgiveness of sins. And what is the fruit what is the tactile response of embracing Yeshua is living the life where we have chosen life in the demonstration of the way we live, that we obey his words. It's as clear as can be in what Tom read in the New Covenant portion, uh, in what Janice uh, read, and then you read the fulfillment of it all in what Suzanne, uh, what Suzanne uh, read. And so, you know, he is the judge. And so we do need to take uh, stock of our lives. And we should never take it for granted that, well, I prayed to receive the Lord, so I'm good to go. You know? Now, when we pray and we know the Lord, yes, we have the assurance of eternal life. We have the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. But does that mean that we're not responsible 
for being obedient, and when we're not, we need to confess our sins? May I suggest to us that theologically, yes, it is true uh, that uh, we have the forgiveness of our sins. In the very same way that we would say that when we embrace Yeshua, we're sanctified. We're made holy, right? We're the holy ones, uh, sanctified people. But we know that on the ground, we, uh, there is a process of sanctification. Yet positionally before the Lord, yes, but yet there is the process of, of being made more and more like him, made more and more holy. And we, would, and we would all agree that it is not good enough to say, well, I'm sanctified in the Lord because I prayed to receive him into my life, and, but I can live any old way now. We know that's not right. Same thing with the forgiveness of sins. Yes, we're forgiven, but if we want to experience forgiveness and really know and, and experience it in our lives, we need to confess our sins in real time. And we experience that forgiveness in real time. That's why it says in 1 John chapter 1 that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Forgive us and cleanse us. And that's what it says. When we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. It means that when he died for our sins, when he rose from the dead, yes, he bore our sins uh, at that time. Uh, however, when we confess our sins, that's when we experience that forgiveness. You see? Uh, and this is the time of year for us to be really thinking about those things. We should be doing it all the time, but especially uh, at this time of year. You know, we have on the sign, uh, repentance uh, is not canceled, right? That's what's on our sign. Repentance is not canceled, right? Lots of things might be canceled. Services might not be happening. This might not be taking place. That might not be happening. But before God, it's all the same, okay? Uh, we do not need to distance with God. We do not need to wear a mask when uh, we are uh, uh, praying to God. Uh, you know, we do not have to socially or physically distance from God, right? Uh, one another, that's a different story. But with God, no. So we do need to turn. We need to repent. And this is a season uh, uh, for it. Now, soon our sign is going to change. And uh, it might say something like, forgiveness has not been, is not canceled, you know, because that's really true also, that uh, repentance is not canceled and neither is the forgiveness of God, right? Uh, and, uh, and so very important. And, and I just wanted to say that, you know, in Jewish tradition, uh, when we approach these holidays, there are a series of prayers that are said before Rosh Hashanah. It's called slichot, slichot. In modern Hebrew, slichot means excuse me. <laughs> it means like, excuse, like if I'm late for a class and I step on it, you know, uh, sorry, excuse me, you know, that kind of thing. I, but it really, you know, it does mean like I'm, I'm sorry for my sins. That's the idea, slichot. Uh, now in uh, Sephardic Judaism, I, uh, there is the teaching there, that, that you begin these prayers of repentance and, you know, uh, uh, and, and things of that nature, uh, penance, you know, uh, uh, penitential prayers 
on the first day of Elul for 40 days, all the way to Yom Kippur. Uh, in the, uh, the Ashkenazi uh, tradition, it's more like um, uh, approximately a week before Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur, because Rosh Hashanah is the stepping stone to Yom Kippur, right? Uh, and so I have here, uh, an this is an entire slichot uh, 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 prayer book. You know, look at how thick it is. That's the point. See all those penitential prayers? Uh, and they're so, they're great and devotional. I use them uh, myself at this time of year. And I just wanted to read a, a little bit uh, from it. For example, right at the beginning, toward the beginning, one of the unique prayers of uh, Slichot is, Yours, my Lord, is the righteousness, and ours is the shamefacedness. What complaint can we make? What can we say? What can we declare? What justification can we offer? Let us examine our ways and analyze and return to you, for your right hand is extended and accepted and to accept penitence. Neither with kindness nor with good deeds do we come before you. As paupers and as beggars do we knock at your doors. At your doors we knock, O compassionate and gracious one, please do not turn away from your, from, uh, your empty-handed ones. Our king, turn us not away from your empty-handed, from you empty-handed, for you are the one who hears prayer. You know, the only difference, this is a traditional prayer. The only difference we would make is, Lord, we do confess, we come to you empty-handed, but thank you that you receive us. Thank you that we have the assurance of our salvation. See, there's an assurance uh, in knowing the Messiah. Okay, and, uh, and I thought I would read from an, another place. How can we open our mouth before you? O oh, you who dwell in the stretched out heavens, in what way can we pour out our prayer? We loathe your, fort, your forthright and honest paths. We clung to idolatrous abomination and despicable deeds. We went after vain, deceitful prophecies. We made our necks stiff and bow and, and our brows brazen uh, and, uh, uh, and so on. So it's a, you can see the confession. Uh, in there. So, you know, there's a lot of penitential prayers in Judaism that, that really uh, speak to us, and uh, the slichot really do. But I would suggest you can make up your own. We have enough sins to be able to confess, and hopefully a heart for the Lord, that you can, you, you know, you get the idea of what these prayers are about. And this week, prepare your heart, because when we come on Rosh Hashanah and we hear the sound of the shofar, Paul will be here, he'll be blowing the shofar, that may it pierce our hearts, you know? May it pierce our hearts and may we bow before God and recognize that he is, that Yeshua is indeed the judge. And we, and of course we've embraced him, so we're thankful but very important that we don't take that for granted. As Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How can you who died to sin still live in it? Do not present the members of your body to sin. 
but present the members of your body to righteousness. And that is a call on these uh, holidays. And you know, the, the, uh, the holidays are really a journey. We begin at Rosh Hashanah, we wake up, we acknowledge God as the King and as the Redeemer, uh, and uh, we confess our sins, and we have that ten, the 10 days of Srechot, right? Uh, and then we come to Yom Kippur, and on Yom Kippur we fast and we pray, and at Beth Messiah we confess our sins, we give thanks to God for Yeshua, who has uh, taken away our sins and forgives our sins, and we pray and we intercede uh, on behalf of others, right? And then we come to Sukkot, a great celebration, a feast of ingathering, uh, and so what a time we are going to have. But it all begins right here with what Peter says, right? Uh, and he ordered us to preach and to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him uh, receives the forgiveness of sins. And so, you know, the quintessential prophetic portion that tells us that is indeed Isaiah chapter 53. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And so may we be ever thankful for uh, the fact that he has taken away our sins and so that we can freely enter into his presence and we can freely know for sure that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son via repentance and embracing Yeshua. And so these holidays are very important for us. May it be uh, a turning of a page for us. May it be a clean slate. May we really uh, interest, think introspectively about our lives. Uh, may we confess our sins. Uh, and may we know in our heart that God has indeed forgiven us in Messiah Yeshua. And may we indeed live out the Shema because he has empowered us uh, via the Ruach HaKodesh indeed to live that way. And so this message that Peter gives to Cornelius is really a message to every single human being. And uh, may we uh, appreciate it all over again in our own lives, and uh, may God give us opportunity wherever we may go to share uh, this message uh, of uh, the forgiveness of sins uh, in Messiah Yeshua to all who may hear it. And so, uh, with that in mind, why don't we pray? Lord God, we do uh, pray, uh, God, that this message that Peter gives to Cornelius would be a message to us all, Lord, that we might hear it all over again, and that we also might be able to share it uh, with others, uh, Lord, uh, that it is not just um, interesting, uh, it is not just a, state, a theological statement, but a truth that we can live by and that keeps us going and encourages us that no matter what physically uh, or around us may be happening, that ultimately you are our king. 
We have forgiveness of our sins because you are the only one we truly answer to, and in you we have forgiveness. You have given us eyes to see, and you have given us ears to hear, and you have given us a heart of understanding. Lord, may we choose life and live it well now and forever in you. And we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.